with the things that hold you back, the sins that weigh you down, the drag that happens on your life. If you don't deal ruthlessly with it, it will deal ruthlessly with you. And so in the same way, each one of us has to do righteous battle against the things that hold us back. And now I say that and I was like, yeah, wow, okay, we got to do that. But listen, you really need to do that. We hear about fighting and wars that are happening in our world every day. But did you know that you're in the midst of a battle right now? In this teaching, Pastor Daniel urges you to recognize that you're at war against the sin in your life, those things that cause you to stumble and fall. And you have to deal ruthlessly with those things. Because if you don't take decisive action, those areas of struggle will drag you down and destroy you. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 20 as he continues his message, Rules of War. In verse 8, you have the fourth exemption, which is if a man is fearful or faint-hearted, let him go to his house. Why? Lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. So what's interesting here is that anybody who was in the army who was a coward, who was freaking out, God wanted to send home. Why? Because God knows that negativity is a disease that we pass around. He says, if you're here and you're freaking out, then you're going to make everyone else freak out. And you know what? That's not good for anybody. Now listen, you know I'm going to make the point here that some of you are really good at being negative. And that is a disease that you are, like negativity and complaining is a communicable disease. You give that away, you know? And so don't give that away. And really, it's interesting that in a sense, negativity and this cowardice, this complaining about, oh, we're going to be in war and they're so big and I'm not going to make it, all that stuff. It's actually a spiritual problem. It's not just an emotional problem. It's rooted in the fact that they don't believe that God is God. And now listen, I've been a pastor for a long time now. I know you can't imagine I'm so young looking and everything. But like I've gotten a couple of tire changes along the way, you know. I had to make some bit stops and get built up again, you know. But what I found is that for people who believe that God can forgive our sins and that God holds everything in his hands and that God is sovereign over everything, we freak out way too much if we really believe that. And we have this amazing tendency that when push comes to shove, we start to act like atheists. Like the world is conspiring against me and I have no hope because the survival of the fittest and I might not be the fittest, so I'm done. No, listen, we believe in the God who creates and sustains everything. So listen, if you're one of those people who either get negative, you start complaining, stop. That's a disease that you're giving to people. So don't be that person. You know, it's like school just started and we already found out our first case of someone with lice. And we're like, man, it's like that happened so quick, you know? Lynn always says like, our kids are never going to be the kids who give someone lice. I'm like, well, praise God, you know? You know, and here's what I want to tell you. 
You don't want to be the person that makes people negative because God's not negative. I mean, is God negative? No. What's amazing is, is in the face of his people, his bride, who is not yet fully prepared for her wedding day, who's in process, God's not negative. God's not like looking at the church like, oh man, you guys are all jacked up. Like, I got to get me a new bride. No. And I don't know about you, that makes me really happy. Like, God's faithful, you know what I mean? Like, he's not trying to get rid of us. He knows that we're in process. And the problem is, is we have this tendency to, especially if you're one of those people who are in the church, you're really good at justifying your negativity. But I don't think you can justify it biblically. You just justify it because you're negative and you want some spiritual clout in the midst of the negativity. And I think it's fascinating that he sends those people home. God's like, I don't care about the size of my army. I care about the heart of my army. And I love that. God's saying, look, I'd rather have a smaller group of people whose hearts are all the way in than the largest army where people are freaking out. And so, brothers and sisters, listen. In the spiritual battle, don't be negative. The people of God, because we walk in light, and in God there's no darkness at all, it's like nobody gets saved by a believer's negativity, no matter what the reasoning is for that negativity. And so God wants to work on us in this. I know God wants to, he works on me in this. So you have these exemptions. And then, of course, then captains are set and they're heading off into war. Now, in verse 10, look at what it says. It says, now, when you go near a city to fight against it, then proclaim an offer of peace to it. And it shall be that if they accept your offer of peace and open to you, then all the people who are found in it shall be placed under tribute to you and serve you. Now, if the city will not make peace with you, but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God, verse 13, delivers it into your hands, you shall strike every male in it with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones and the livestock and all that is in the city, all its spoil, you shall plunder for yourself and you shall eat the enemy's plunder which the Lord your God gives you. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not the cities of these nations. Now, I'm going to stop right there. What we find now is that this is, we're going to talk about the nations that are in the promised land proper. He's talking now about nations beyond that. And if you go out there, like once, if this assumes that they're settled in the promised land. He's like, now listen, once you're there, really what he says is first seek peace, not war. That's what he says. He says, listen, if you're going out beyond the promised land, right? He's like, I want you to go and just say, listen, so hey, we're here, we're the children of Israel, and God's given us all this land. And so can we just be at peace? Like, we don't have to fight, you know? And he says that if they say yes, then great. You know, now, I think it's important. Seek peace before you seek war. Like, that's a biblical principle, isn't it? See, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And what is also amazing is that the Apostle Paul says, live peaceably with all men when it is within your power. So what that means is that the first step for the follower of Jesus is always to make peace. And we do everything within our power to be peacemakers, right? But then, if peace is not to be had, then in war, what we find here is that if this city will not submit to the children of Israel, then they are meant to 
besiege it. Now, besieging it was the way that cities were conquered in ancient times. They were walled cities. And so what they would do is they would set up a perimeter around the city and it would block any food or drink or supplies to get into the city. And what would happen is, is over time, because there was no access to supplies or to liquid, the people would start to be hungry and then the city would become vulnerable. And normally in those type of conditions, the people would just surrender because it's, the besiegement is so horrible. And we see many examples of that in the Bible. When I did the Inside Man series in Second Kings chapter 6, we see an example of the cities where Elisha was preaching. One of those cities was under besiegement. It was really, really bad. And so that was one of the ways to do. And he says, and then once they surrender, all the men are to die because they were rebellious and the women, the children, and all the plunder were to be spared and to be enjoyed by the children of Israel. And there's all these other places about when this happens, how to treat women and children. And so this gives the idea of it. Now, I think it's also important to note at this point, remember I said that the children of Israel going into the promised land was God's special war, which means it is only one time in the Bible that God actually condones war for the people of God, and that is them going into the promised land and taking that land. No other place do you find it. You'll never find it in the New Testament. So this is a specific case. So, you know, if someone rises up and says, I'm a Christian and we're gonna go take Portland, you know, it's like, no. You know, no, we ain't. You know what I mean? And so I just wanted to make sure I put that out there because someone would be like, oh, listen, man, it's like, we'll besiege the city. You know what I mean? It's like, they got enough granola in Portland to keep themselves for a long time. And enough coffee to keep us all awake, you know? Amen. Anyway, moving on. And we would never besiege Portland, right? No way. (laughs) Notice verse 15. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not the cities of these nations, but, verse 16, of the cities of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites, the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. Notice verse 18 lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. Now, these nations, all of the ites nations. Now, in Deuteronomy 7.1, you get one more ites, the Girgashites. It's not on this list, right? But the idea is for these specific nations who are in the promised land, there is to be utter destruction. Now, remember I said at the beginning that sometimes God's ways don't make a lot of sense. At this point, we run right into the reality that in this special war, God is brokering in violence and not particular violence against men, but this is the complete annihilation of every man, woman, and child. Now, We hear that, and I hear that, and I think, how is that possible, right? You think, a good and loving God, how is that possible? But really what you find is that in God's economy, these nations are so reprehensible that they are beyond redemption. That's how God sees it. Now, I realize that as people, we would say, that is awful, 
But if we really think about it, people have a tendency to say, well, the God of the Old Testament is angry and the God of the New Testament is gracious. But you realize that God's most vicious act of violence happened 2,000 years ago on a hill at a cross where Jesus received the punishment for every sin that has ever been committed. And so the God who created and sustains everything sometimes brokers in violence. And I would say it this way, that God being perfect, it is his prerogative to judge as he sees fit. But us in our imperfections should be very careful of any thoughts of brokering and violence because we do not hold perfection in our hearts and lives outside of the spirit of God. Does that make sense? But I realize, I remember as a young Christian, as a teacher, when I see God brokering like we see here in Deuteronomy 20 in total and complete destruction and not some sort of merciful parameters for just men, you know? And even what's interesting is people think that's merciful. In our day and age, we'd say, well, why are they sparing the women? Men and women are equal, you know? It's like, how could you just, that's sexist to just kill the guys, you know? But nobody says that when they're bothered with the Bible. It's always about something else, but it's interesting, you know what I mean? I think about these things in the day and age we live, you know? But the reality is, is God literally orders complete and total destruction. Why? And I think this is important. Because God loves his people so much that he says this, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. So the reason the Lord is advocating total destruction is because he knows that if they don't, the children of Israel will acquire those people's ways and they will rebel against him. So God does it as a protective measure for his people. Now listen, Jesus speaks in equally challenging and harsh terms when he says that if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Now, the reason he does that God is not advocating that you really pluck your eye out. You really cut. He's saying that sin is so serious that you have to deal completely ruthlessly with it because if you don't, it will kill you. Like John Owen, the Puritan writer and pastor said, you're either killing sin or sin is killing you. And so the idea, remember I talked about we're all in a battle? See, if you don't deal ruthlessly with the things that hold you back, the sins that weigh you down, the drag that happens on your life, if you don't deal ruthlessly with it, it will deal ruthlessly with you. And so in the same way, each one of us has to do righteous battle against the things that hold us back. And now I say that and everyone's like, yeah, wow, okay, we gotta do that. But listen, you really need to do that. So like if you're one of those people, every time you're on the internet, sin happens, then you need to shut the internet down and get rid of the computer. You know what I mean? If you're one of those people who like, I can't have Twinkies in my house. I'll just be, I'm honest. Like, if there's a box of Twinkies, there's an empty box of Twinkies. Like, that's just the way it is in my house. I mean, those things, that's God, like, 
God knows I have a weakness for Twinkies. You know what I mean? And so it's like, well, we don't bring them in the house. You know what I mean? Because I know if they're in the house, they're in my belly. That's how it goes. And not like one a day for 10 days. It's like, no, one a minute for 10 minutes. You know? And so and it's gluttony. It's gluttony. I always remember, I had this friend in New Jersey. And when you're from New Jersey, they do this to you. I had a, I had a friend, we used to meet for pizza, and we'd each eat a half. We'd buy a pie, and we'd each eat a half. You know, and after we'd done, he'd look over and be like, glutton. That's what he used to say to me. We would do discipleship over pizza. We'd finish, we'd be like, glutton. And just, the, and just the way he'd say it, it was like so like snarky, you know, you glutton, you know. And I'd be like, yeah, sorry, Lord, you know. And so because I, like, because I know that if I live on a Twinkie diet, I'll die happy and fat, but happy, you know. Like I'd be super happy, you know what I mean. But it's like I can't bring them into the house because I don't want to be glutton. You know, I want my body to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want the Spirit of God to dwell in me. I want to have as much energy and vitality to be able to serve the Lord for as long as he'll give me. So I got to deal ruthlessly with that. So I don't even go down the Twinkie aisle anymore. I used to go down and hope that the box wouldn't end up in the cart. But I really went down because I really wanted to just buy a box. You know what I mean? And so, like, I don't even go down that aisle anymore because I know it's, it, no good happens in that aisle. I mean, it's, Twinkies are beautiful, but, you, you know, they're not, like... And I share my own struggles with you because I realize everyone has them. Like, we're all the same. Like, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And whatever the sin struggles that you have that are yours uniquely, they are yours, and and they're yours to battle with Jesus in the Spirit. And, And the beauty is of the body of Christ is no one else has your exact one, but everyone has their own one. And so all of us together are fighting this righteous battle. And in a lot of ways, I want to encourage you to utter destruction and annihilation of the things that are holding you back. Like, you want to take the passion and the veracity, because if you don't deal ruthlessly with it, it will deal ruthlessly with you. That's what happens. That's how it goes. And so you're either killing sin or that sin is killing you. And for the children of Israel, in regards to these nations... The Lord says, if you do not exterminate them, they will end up being a cancer in your midst and it will end up exterminating you. And know what's amazing? You fast forward in the life of the children of Israel and they didn't do this. And you know what happened? Some 400 years later, 300 years for the 10 northern tribes and 400 years later for the two southern tribes, they all went into exile because exactly what God said was going to happen, happened. They left the people in the land. They began to acquire their spiritual practices and their abominations. And God said, I'm going to spit you out of the land. You're not worthy to be here anymore. And so, brothers and sisters, we don't have to worry necessarily about God spitting us out of the kingdom. But God gives us a responsibility to deal with the garbage in our own lives. What I've found is that when you're in the context of talking through the scriptures in smaller groups, what happens is that all of a sudden... Like, in this room, as I'm preaching and we're hearing the word of the Lord, you're not actually telling someone, hey, I struggle with this. I mean, I am, because I got the microphone on. You know what I mean? But nobody else says. You know what I mean? So what's funny is, like, if you see me in the supermarket and I'm in the Twinkie, I'd be like, Fusco, what you doing in here? Right? Like, I was there on Wednesday night. Like, this is a sinful aisle for you. You know, and I'd be like, well, what are you doing in this aisle? I know what you're doing, you know? But you know what I mean? It's like, but because you know that me in the Twinkie aisle is no bueno, right? Then you're going to hold me accountable for it. And when you're in a small group and you start sharing your life with people, 
all of a sudden, people start knowing, oh, okay, so this is an area of struggle for you. They don't judge you. They're just there for you. They check in, you know. They check in, hey, how you doing with that? And all of a sudden, that accountability and people praying for you, and all of a sudden, you being able to say, yeah, I've been really struggling with that. And people are laying hands on you and praying for you. When that starts to happen, we start to get transformed. And that's exactly what Satan doesn't want. That's exactly what the Lord does want. So we got to make sure that we deal ruthlessly with the things that hold us back. I just have two more verses, and we're going to end Deuteronomy chapter 20. Look what it says in verse 19. Now, when you besiege a city for a long time while making war against it to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. Only the trees which you know are not trees for food you may destroy and cut down and build seeds, works against the city that makes war with you until it is subdued. Now, I think it's kind of a, you know, let's talk about a rule for war. It's kind of a strange place for this chapter to end. But really what we learn here is that if the children of Israel are making war, they don't want to do any more destruction that's necessary. So if there are fruit trees, trees that give food, he's saying, even though you're going to need wood and timber to build siege works and all these different things, keep the fruit trees. Keep the food trees because you get food off them, you know? And I think this is important because I think what happens is, is that if we try and be a peacemaker and peace is impossible and we end up having to be in a conflict, we end up starting to throw all logic out of the window once we're in conflict. You know what I mean? Like, you just get in conflict mode and everyone kind of goes scorched earth on the thing. And really what he's saying here is, listen, when you're in conflict mode, still use your mind. Like, be smart about it. Like, you don't want to cut down, like, you're besieging the city so that it could be your city and you cut down all the fruit trees and guess what? Now you got no food. And that's dumb. You know what I mean? So really what this is, it's counsel for the children of Israel not to go scorched earth against the city, but to still use their brains. And if there's trees that are good for food, retain them. So what I want to encourage you in closing is to be a peacemaker. If peace can't be made, then in conflict, spare as much fruit as possible. Don't go scorched earth. In the flesh, we get like that in conflict, right? one like but no keep your heart and still be a peacemaker even in the midst of it because you never quite know where things land in the end Jesus is real. thanks for staying with us as pastor daniel wrapped up this teaching on the rules of war that god gave the israelites You learn that God wants his people to work for peace first, but that doesn't work not to lose their heads when they're fighting. God told the Israelites to make sure to keep the fruit trees so that they could have food. Ultimately, he wants his people to be looking out for peace even when in a battle. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here to tell you about my book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. You've heard me talk about these three directions for living again and again on Jesus is Real Radio, and I think they're so important. I wanted to write a book to explain even more. Upward, Inward, and Outward teaches you the importance of developing a right relationship with God and how that teaches you to love yourself well. From those two healthy relationships can spring a well of love 
for people around you. And that's what transforms our world. Find out more and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will talk about how God wanted the Israelites to handle an unsolved murder. You'll learn that God expects us to take responsibility for each other. This flies in the face of our culture, where the individual always takes precedence over the many. But God wants us to be different. He wants us to change our minds and live lives filled with connection and interdependence. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.